Hello, and welcome to episode number 66 of the Hayfield Digital Podcast, a show for creators, makers, and doers, where my goal is to help you make to the max. My name is Ryan, and in this episode, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, NFTs, YouTube shorts, and uh, some studio updates. Let's get into it. Thank you for joining me here on the Happy Digital Podcast. It is episode number 66. If you are new here to the show, well, let me tell you what we're all about here. So, uh, you know, I, I'm interested in a lot of different things. I wear many different hats. I've uh, done videography, photography, um, just content creation in general. Uh, been doing some uh, FPV drone flying lately, obviously podcasting gear stuff, uh, live streaming. I'm into all those things. And this is where I share my knowledge about all those things, but also where, uh, you know, I document my progress through those things because this podcast is about growth. We're here to uh, learn stuff together if possible and to kind of grow and evolve. So that's what we're doing here. That's what I'm here for. And if that's stuff that you might be interested in, then I would invite you to hit that subscribe button wherever you have to be watching or listening. And also follow me on social media at Ryan Hafey on Instagram and Twitter. Feel free to uh, hit me up over there after the show. Shoot me a question or just say what's up. I'm always happy to uh, to talk with people. All right. Today is, what is today? Today's the 7th. We're in March now. This was actually a, a, a pretty eventful week this past week, just as far as really the studio and just kind of things going on. And I don't have a particular, I'm not I'm not doing any tutorials today. Uh, we're not going to stick to one singular subject. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit today because there were a lot of things that I was thinking about and a lot of things that I did over this past week that I felt would be um, great to discuss during this episode. And the first of those being um, a lot of studio updates, or at least a few of them. So let's go through what those are. The first being, I'll, I'll show you, here we go. Hey Google, turn on fill switch. Ooh, so you can't see it, but um, over on this wall here, I've been thinking about doing this for a while, and I've probably talked about it a time or two as well. So the the situation that I have with this podcast studio, as most of you know, this this room is only 12, by, 12 feet by 12 feet, and this little area here is what's designated as my studio. Everything else is workout equipment. Um, you know, I've got my main source of lighting. Got another camera angle here, which we'll talk about in a little bit. My main source of lighting uh, here, which is a nice big 36-inch softbox, and then outside of that, I've just got some accent lights back here. But I'd always thought that the lighting on my left side here was a little dim, and I wanted some fill light or a little rim light, you know, something to kind of fill fill this in and, and make the dark areas not, maybe not quite as, as dark. So... I've been thinking for a while about what I should do. Should I maybe get like some strip lights or maybe just like a, I don't know what they're called, the, the, the kind of like the, they're like, they're just a shape of like a pole and they're, they're lights, whatever, maybe mounting those up on the ceiling or something. And then I remembered that I have, um, it, was, it was actually the old key light that I used to use, which is like a, uh, I'd say it's about like a 12 inch diameter, uh, flat panel, circular um, light. And I used it for a while, but the problem is, you know, it, it doesn't diffuse as much as I would like, which is why I have this big giant softbox here now. But um, so I figured, well, I could still put it to use. I'm not doing a whole lot of, um, you know, filming and, and uh, client work at the moment, 
because you know the pandemic and everything. So might as well put it to use. So went on Amazon and I found these little um, these little brackets that uh, have oh gosh I don't even know what the connectors are called. But uh, if you're familiar with using video lights and things like that, it's like the, the little actually hold on. I may have something I can show off here. It's Sunday. We're hanging out. Let's see what we got. This was not planned. I'm just over here making a mess. And I just poured out a bunch of stuff onto my desk only to realize that I don't have an example of what I'm looking for in this little patch of mine. So we're going to pretend that none of that just happened and we're going to continue to move on. But anyway, what it did was it allowed me to mount my uh, old light basically directly to my left. And I purchased a, a little um, smart um, uh, smart outlet that you can connect with Google Home or Alexa or whatever. So if I want to turn it off, hey, Google, turn off fill switch. Hey, Google, turn off fill switch. There we go. That worked. But I want it on, so I'm going to turn it back on real quick. Hey, Google, turn on fill switch. All right. So anyway, yeah, it's a nice... Uh, quick and easy solution to kind of, uh, well, not quick and easy. In fact, I'm one of those people who can, you know, make a, a five minute, um, install of, you know, whether, whether it's a picture or a shelf or something on a wall and turn it into something that takes an hour and, and, you know, poke a bunch of extra holes in the wall that don't need to be there. But, uh, it's up now and I think it looks good. And, uh, and yeah, let me know what you think. If you, if you think the, the new lighting is, um, is up to snuff. Other than that, so last week uh, I talked about my camera situation. So I was actually down to just this main camera as of last week for a couple of reasons. So back here, this camera angle used to be a GoPro Hero 7. Now that I'm into FPV, that GoPro is now designated for my FPV drone. So I took that angle away. Here, uh, I used to have my Sony RX100 Mark V. And that camera's great, but I decided to sell it. And the reason I decided to sell it is because um, really it just, it's not the best for this purpose for what I need it for. So, uh, and really it just comes down to the fact that it would overheat a lot. And that's because I, I like to take a 4K signal from these cameras right now and then downsample it to 1080p just to get a little bit extra sharpness. And that's mostly because these Sony cameras, the 1080p on these Sony cameras is, is very soft. So... Uh, I put it up. I listed the camera. Uh, I only had one person reach out and they wanted to buy it, but they had to, it, they reached out at like 10 o'clock at night and then they had to travel the next morning and catch an early flight. And I wasn't about to, you know, get up and, and go drive across town just to meet this guy so he could buy the camera. You know, I could have sold it then, but whatever. Um, but other than that, there hasn't been a lot of interest in it and I could understand why it's a very small camera and it's not a cheap camera. It was over a thousand bucks when I bought it. I'm selling it for 500 with the accessories that it comes with now. So I think it's a pretty good price. But for most people, it's probably a little bit steep if they're just looking for a little point and shoot. But then I decided, you know, we're not getting a lot of pickup right now as far as people wanting to buy it. So might as well continue to put it to use. So I decided to go ahead and use it to replace my old GoPro angle. So right now I have two angles. I've got this one here and I've got the one up there. Um, and... Last week, I also mentioned the Sony ZV-1, which was a camera I was thinking about getting to replace that one because it has many of the same features, a flip-out screen, which is better than the flip-up screen on the Sony RX100, in my opinion. 
And it also doesn't have the overheating issues that the RX100 has. Excuse me. So um, I went ahead and bought it. It's not here yet. It comes in, I think, on Tuesday. But, you know, we may we may just be at the point where we're going to keep the RX100 and we're just going to have three Sony angles. And then I'll have one here, one up there. And, uh, yeah, just be Sony all across the board and be back to three quality, um, you know, uh, camera angles, I guess. Now, so what I've done here with the RX100 is I bit the bullet a little bit and changed the, um, changed the resolution down to 1080p. So it's no longer transmitting 4k signal to the Atom and then being downsampled to 1080. It's just coming out as 1080. And in these few tests that I've done so far, that seems to help prevent some of the overheating issues. So I may be losing a little bit uh, in the realm of, and you probably, given this is a live stream, you probably can't even tell on YouTube, but you know, if you, if you pixel peep like I do, you'll know that this is a lot softer than the 4K used to be. But hey, you know, for kind of like a, a, a wide behind the scenes shot, I'm all right with it. So yeah, we're gonna get the ZV-1. Uh, the ZV-1 also shoots 4K up to 30. And again, without the overheating issues, we should be able to um, get that nice, crisp, uh, sharp, you know, look from this angle here, which will be cool. Uh, and that's it. So who knows? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, uh, just take that one off the market and hang on to it. Cause it's still a good camera. It's just, you know, doesn't, doesn't tick all the boxes, I guess. And then finally, as far as studio updates are concerned. Oh, and by the way, with this angle now too, you can see my, um, this was previously my main monitor. This was the LG 27 inch 4k. Uh, and luckily on its base, it flips sideways. So this is my monitor setup. Now I've got my, um, BenQ 32 inch and then the, uh, the LG 4k vertical, which is what I've wanted for a long time. It actually goes all the way up to here, just out of frame, but I've wanted this for a super long time and now I got it. And I love this combination. It's awesome. Finally, the, as far as studio updates are concerned, I bit the bullet and I got the cloud lifter. Um, and the cloud lifter is a little, I can't show you because it's currently connected, but the, the sure SM7B microphone, which is this one is traditionally a, a quiet microphone. And, um, it often needs a little bit of extra gain in order to get the levels out of it that you might want. So a lot of people will pair it with uh, a device called a cloud lifter. It's just a little blue box. Uh, you plug, you know, the, the microphone gets plugged in on one end and then out of the other end that goes into your audio, audio interface. In my case, it's the Rodecaster Pro. Now I had seen some reviews previously that have mentioned that, you know, because the Rodecaster has some decent um, uh, pro audio processing options, including gain and compression and things like that, that you wouldn't need a cloud lifter with it. And up until now, I had done pretty well with the combination of just the Shure and the Rodecaster. But um, I had received a comment or two about the cloud lifter being used in their setup and, you know, the, the commenters enjoying it and, and you know, being, uh, um, being happy with it. So I figured I might as well go for it. Uh, if, if I'm, I haven't done a whole lot of comparisons, uh, comparison testing, back and forth, but you know, I don't, I didn't realize a ton of difference. Uh, 
That said, I do need to play with some, I'm going to unhook it and I'm going to probably do some comparisons for a future podcast or maybe a, a video on my main channel and just show some of the, you know, the difference in audio quality and maybe the difference in the compressor settings that I, that I put into place with and without the cloud lifter. And I could, I, actually, that could probably easily do that with, you know, just designate. Now I'm just kind of talking to myself. Forget what I said. Anyway, ah, we have a uh, Robert Reed in the chat. Robert Reed from the Never Call Me Again podcast. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this yet, but I'm going to. Sorry, Robert. But uh, I spoke with Robert on uh, Friday. Uh, he interviewed me for his podcast. Again, it's called Never Call Me Again. And uh, over there, he talks to, uh, seems like mostly smaller creators, kind of up and coming artists and, and creators. And, uh, you know, he just reached out and said, hey, I'd, I'd be interested in talking to you on the podcast. And we had a great long conversation about, just podcasting, YouTube, um, gear, kind of strategy, all that kind of stuff. And it was a really fantastic interview. Uh, that episode should be coming out soon. Don't know exactly when, but Robert, thanks for watching. Uh, and be sure to go check out his YouTube channel and his podcast. Never call me again. Again is what it's called. Anywho. All right. So let's move on from the studio updates. And let's talk a little bit about some of the topics that I wanted to talk about today, um, the first being, now both of these things, by the way, so we're going to be talking about YouTube shorts and we're going to be talking about NFTs. Now, neither of these are things that I'm have, have expertise in at the moment. These are just things that I'm, I, that I've just recently started learning about, but I plan to learn more about them and, and try to be more involved with them. So if you're watching this to, get advice or a full explanation on what these things are, you're in the wrong place. But if you're here because you just kind of want to get an introduction and, 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 uh, and because you want to follow along with me as far as, you know, through, through my process of learning about these things, well then, then follow along. Let's, let's talk about it. So let's talk about YouTube shorts first. YouTube shorts is from what I understand, kind of YouTube's answer to, you know, like uh, TikTok and to Instagram Reels and things like that. So um, as far as I know, currently, there are only certain areas in the world uh, where the YouTube short camera feature is available. I think in India right now, they're testing it out. Uh, and basically, when you would compose a new video, you get the option to do so through the YouTube shorts camera in within the app. And YouTube Shorts, basically, it's minute-long videos that are shot vertically, or 60 seconds or less. You shoot them vertically, and you upload those to YouTube, and they're sort of kept separate from um, the main, like, the, the longer-form content that's not a short, per se. And um, much like, you know, TikTok and Reels, how they are pushing those features, you know, especially on Instagram with Reels, because again, Reels was kind of their their answer to TikTok. They currently um, are really pushing Reels content heavily because they want more people to use the feature, obviously. Um, and YouTube Shorts is kind of what YouTube's doing to to uh, to try to grab that attention back, I guess you would say. But but because again, it's a new feature on YouTube, they are really putting an emphasis on people using it. And 
you know, they are promoting a lot of that content in sections like on, on the YouTube website. So, um, I've been thinking for a, a while now of how I want to sort of reignite my, um, my main YouTube channel. And I've talked about it a little bit. I, I think I've settled on the, the type of content that I want to do. And what I think I really want to start doing over there, you know, I've gone back and forth about this a number of times. Um, I want to get back into tutorial content and I want to create super um, quick and easy bite size content, uh, tutorial content, something that, you know, I think for me personally, that's something that's missing when it comes to tutorial content on YouTube is that, you know, you, you go, you watch these videos, there are these long videos, there's usually a big introduction and a, a whole lot of context that's baked in to the tutorial that you don't really need. You know, if, if I'm out and I'm looking for a tutorial or something like that on YouTube, um, for me, I, I want to be able to get right to the meat of it. I don't want to have to sit and listen to five minutes of you know, why you decided to make this tutorial or a bunch of useless context. It's like, no, this is a thing that I'm seeking out to try to figure out how to do. Just tell me how to do it. So I, I wanted, and I, and I did that. I did a, what, what was called 31 days of tutorials where I released a new tutorial for every day for 31 days. And they were meant to be super, you know, short bite-sized tutorials that you could just kind of get in and get out. And those remain some of the most popular videos on my channel um, just because they're evergreen and, you know, all the comments are, man, this saved me so much time. Thanks for getting right to the point. And that to me, uh, makes me feel good because those are not only are those relatively simple to make, but I can do them quickly. I can get them out and I can help people and they may not be the video, the types of videos that blow up like crazy right away. But over time, once people start to discover them, you know, they'll be able to help people, they'll be able to get views, and they'll be able to provide people with a lot of value for a long time. So I, I say all that because I think YouTube Shorts is probably going to be a good way for me to get into doing that. Uh, so that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. And, or at least that's what I'm planning to do. So I think YouTube Shorts for me, if I can create, if I can come up and create minute, you know, 60 second tutorials and get them uploaded, um, on a consistent basis, you know, one or two of them a week for me, that's going to be a win. And I think that's where I want to start. And then if, and then if I have some ideas that are going to take longer, if I want to do a little vlogging or if I want to do a more in-depth tutorial on something a little bit more complex, which I've done in the past, then I can just upload a, a, a regular, you know, YouTube video. So that's what I'm thinking of doing. I think YouTube shorts is interesting. Uh, and, and the way that it works, apparently, for, for, for someone who doesn't have... So what I understand is that YouTube Shorts is open to everyone. It's just that the YouTube Shorts camera is only open to certain markets. So if you wanted to upload a YouTube Short for yourself, you would record either on your phone or you could, you know, edit it together. Oh, there go the dogs. Um, but you would record a 60-second or less vertical video. I think it has to be over 15 seconds. And then you would upload it and put hashtag Shorts either in the title or the description I've also heard conflicting reports that you don't necessarily need to include the hashtag shorts, but uh, I'm going to just because, um, you know, just to increase my chances of it being um, recognized by YouTube as a short. And I'm just going to give it a shot and see what it, see what happens, see where it goes and see if I enjoy it. So 
Uh, we have uh, Fonzarelli Gaming in the chat. Hey, man, cool setup. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, this is, uh, as I've said before, this is my, this is my playground. So I, uh, I take good care of it. So, yeah, YouTube Shorts. I want to try that out. Now, uh, the next and the final thing. Let's see. How long have we been doing this? Uh, 23 minutes? That's not bad. So, NFTs. Let's talk about NFTs for a minute. For those of you, well, if anyone, if anyone listening or watching has been on Clubhouse at any time in the past few months, um, you've noticed that every other room is a room related to the topic of NFTs. For those of you who don't know, NFTs, uh, NFT stands for non-fungible token. Now, again, I'm going to, I'm going to give that same disclaimer. I, I'm very early in the NFT space. I have not created an NFT. I've not traded or purchased an NFT. Um, I'm only going based on what I've heard so far, but what I've heard so far is incredibly interesting. And, uh, I want to, I want to learn more about it. So NFT stands for non-fungible token. And from what I understand, what NFTs do is it allows digital creators. It's, it's sort of like protection for digital creators. So let's say, let's say you're a painter and you know, you paint an original painting. You could sell that original painting and you know, you can give someone, you can have proof like this is my original work. You paid for it. You now own this original. Now, that person could create reproductions of that painting and distribute them, but there's still only one original of that painting, and that's clearly going to have the most value over all those other reproductions. What NFTs do, apparently, is it gives that same type of um, protection. Protection is maybe not the right word, but it gives uh, digital artists the ability to sell their original work as a one of one per se. So, and it's all done on the blockchain again, which is another thing that's super complex. I own a little bit of Bitcoin and Ethereum, but beyond that, I don't have a, an extreme or, you know, a super in-depth knowledge of how the blockchain works as I think that's probably the case for most people, even people who also own Bitcoin. But so the way that it works apparently is, is let's say you create a digital piece of artwork. It could be a 3D rendering. It could be a, a, some photography. It could be a drawing. As long as it's in digital form, you would then mint it, mint, M-I-N-T, mint it within the NFT ecosystem. And then you put a price on it that someone can purchase, purchase it for um, in, I think right now, Ethereum is the blockchain that people are using mostly with NFTs. And you sell it and then people are spending crazy amounts of money on, on the privilege of owning a one of one, um, digital artwork piece. Right. So I, I'd even, I, someone sent me a, a link the other day. Uh, I just read the headline. So I apologize if I'm butchering, butchering any of this, but the, the headline was basically saying that, um, Banksy, the popular street artist, someone purchased one of his pieces and one of his artworks for $95,000, I believe it was, and then proceeded to mint it and then destroy the original art piece, I believe. So now this Banksy art piece exists only in digital form 
and I assume the plan is for them to sell it in digital form and make a bunch of money off of it. That's really interesting to me. Um, I, you know, I think that there's possibilities for, well, just with any new industry, you're going to have people that come in and try to try to game the system. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that when it comes to NFTs. A lot of what people ask is like, you know, well, who's stopping anyone from, you know, taking a reproduction of a digital artwork and trying to mint that and sell that? I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure people are probably going to try to do that. But I think there's also processes in place that, um, you know, for the creators to make it known that, no, this is the original piece, regardless of what you may have. So, yeah, that's... So So when you when you purchase an NFT, you essentially... You, you own the original of that digital art piece. And then the cool thing about it too is as the, as the creator, as the original seller, you can also cr- uh, set it up to where, you know, if someone purchases your piece of art and then they sell it again, you can receive a certain percentage of that selling price. So as that piece of art exchanges hands, you're earning additional royalties as it goes along. And that's that's something that, Again, digital creators have really not been able to take advantage of. So it's pretty cool to see. And there's also some other examples of people doing some really creative things with it. For example, um, Logan Paul. I know Logan Paul gets a lot of hate, but we got to bring him up because he's, you know, it's interesting. These young guys, um, these younger creators, I mean, they're established, but they're still young guys, but they're coming in and doing interesting things with these types of things. I can, I can only imagine what Mr. Beast is eventually going to do with it wet the whistle there. But um, what Logan did from what I understand is he created or had a designer create, I think it was 3000. Again, please double check me because uh, I don't have all the details here. But what, from what I remember, he had a graphic designer create um, a design for kind of what looked like Logan Paul, like illustrated playing cards. And they minted 3,000 of them, if I remember correctly. And uh, I think they opened it up for sale. You know what? We're going to look this up in real time because I don't want to butcher this. This is, a, um, this is an interesting story. Logan Paul. Let's see. Headline of this, Logan Paul sells $5 million worth of NFTs ahead of his Pokemon box break. So... Um, this is on a website, by the way, called tubefilter.com. I've never heard of tubefilter. Let's see if I can find maybe a better resource. No offense to tubefilter. Mm. No, I'm just going to go back into that one. Let's see if it has any info for me here. Paul partnered to create and distribute the tokens with a company called Bondly, a peer-to-peer exchange that enables trading across any chain. A set of 3,000 NFTs dropped on February 19th with each selling for one uh, one Ethereum, which I think it's like Ethereum right now is like $1,600, $1,700 if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, during their first day on the market, 1,772 NFTs were perfect, purchased with uh, Ethereum being valued at roughly $2,000 at the time. Okay. For a total of roughly $3.5 million in sales, Paul sold a $1 million worth of NFTs in 30 minutes after dropping them. Uh, and yesterday, they climbed to $5 million with a total of 2586 sold. Um, and then 
there were 414 left over after, I guess, the time period they made them there available for, and then they destroyed those, so they will never be available again. Uh, let's see, Wesley, Wesley Smith chimed in the uh, the chat. Drone pilot podcaster and big fight photographer. Is there anything else you don't do? <laughs> Setup looks great. Thanks, Wesley. It's good to hear from you, man. Hope you're doing well. I appreciate that. Um, so back to the Logan Paul NFT thing. What's interesting about this is that this opens the door for like a certain level of exclusivity as well. So what in theory, what I've heard is that Logan, what Logan Paul can do with these is, you know, he can use them as tickets or tokens or kind of like, uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, just like tickets basically. So let's say he wants to host a private event for only NFT holders. Like I would say, shoot, if I'm going to spend $2,000 on one of these things, you know, I would, I would hope, especially if it's not going to be one of one, I would hope that I could, uh, get some value out of that. So, you know, if he's going to, maybe he hosts some exclusive online event or maybe some exclusive in-person event in the future. And only people who hold these NFTs can attend them. That's, that's pretty interesting. So we're very early in the game. Um, there's a website called OpenSea, uh, which is one of the first, I'm sure there's more out there. This is the one that I see that keeps popping up, but this is a, like a marketplace for NFTs. And you can just kind of look through there and you can see some of the artwork that's being, that's being sold and traded. Some of it looks super simple. Um, some of it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, some stuff is there and available to be bid on, but yeah, there's this huge market that's emerging now for people who want to own original digital artwork. And, uh, I think the sky's the limit from here. Like it's, it's getting buy-in from, you know, guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and, I was, uh, there's a clubhouse room the other day with, you know, like Diplo and Steve Aoki talking about NFTs as far as music goes. So the, man, the, the possibilities are endless. I'm interested in, um, you know, dipping my toes, maybe just on the photography side, taking some of my old photography and, uh, converting that into NFTs and just kind of see what happens with it. Just, just more of an experiment than anything. I just noticed my straw has been sticking in the, the frame here the whole time. That's okay. But yeah. So what I would love if anybody, cause I'm sure because NFTs are such a hot topic right now, this video is probably going to be watched by a few people who are interested or at least know something about NFTs. I would love it if, if you do know more than what I know, or if I'm saying anything incorrect, correct me down in the comments below, but also, you know, give me some resources. Are there any links to websites or videos, uh, where that you've watched or read that, um, are helping you kind of learn more about this new industry? If so, I want to learn more uh, and I plan to talk about this more because I think, you know, especially for creators, for digital creators, this could be huge uh, and this could be a means for people to earn more of a living uh, and not get, you know, not have their digital stuff, their digital work stolen, which I think happens all too often. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, let's keep an eye on that. And that's March 7th, 2021 is when we talked about that. We're going to revisit this down the line because, uh. I want to see where this is going to go. But anyway, let's see. We've been at this for 34 minutes. It's getting warm in this room. I think I'm going to go ahead and call this one done. But if you're still with me and if you enjoyed what you heard or saw, it would be awesome if you could hit that subscribe button for me. Also, follow me on social media at Ryan Havey on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, do not 
hesitate to reach out to me, shoot me a message over there. I'm always happy to talk to people. Uh, but for now, I'm gonna go ahead and call this one done. So thanks so much again for being with me here. We will see you in the next one. Bye-bye.